morning. We are in a series called Mission, and this is the fourth week. And this is the week that we're actually talking through the message that of the whole mission. And this is also baptism week. And so at some point in the service, you're going to see some people get up to go uh, back. So they're going to be baptized. And we're really looking forward to that. But just in case that you haven't been a part of the mission series so far, this is a, a, the book of Acts that we're looking through. And the book of Acts was written by a guy named Luke. He, wrote, he wanted to have an intelligent, chronological accounting of Jesus' ministry, and so he wrote the Gospel of Luke. And then after that, he wanted to have an, a, an intelligent accounting of the church's explosion, because everyone in the first century couldn't figure out how this was happening. And this is a, a movement that should have never, ever worked, and yet it did. And so because of that, they, they wanted to make sure that, like, he wanted to say, I want to show people how this happened. And so he goes and he investigates and has eyewitness accounts of how the church explodes. And, and the, honestly, up to this point, it's all been good news. It's all been awesome times for the Christians. They have Jesus, not dead, rise from the grave. He's, he's no longer dead, and, and he tells his disciples, listen, I'm leaving you, but me leaving is good news for you because me leaving means I'm giving you the gift, and the gift is God in you. God is not going to be someone that you can, like, walk away from or run away from like you guys did in the garden. God is going to be someone who's going to indwell you wherever you go, and that's to your benefit. Even though you, you've loved walking with me, for three years, it's going to be your benefit that the Holy Spirit's actually going to be with you, alongside you. And so that, so everyone's like, this is great. And so they wait, and then they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter preaches to a huge crowd that was hating on the Christians, and uh, 3,000 plus people become believers that day. Phenomenal stuff. Then they get together, and as they're getting together, they're realizing that there's a difference in their life because of the Holy Spirit. It's like, before we were kind of self-absorbed, but now we have this intrinsic desire to actually help each other and to share with each other like i couldn't stand you when you were in third grade you were a total jerk but now it's like we've got a connection in jesus that helps us overcome some of the jerky past that we had in fact i didn't like i don't even know this person but i feel like there's just something intrinsically a part of who i am now a part of this family that i want to help this other believer and this was blowing their mind and it, the scripture says that every single day people are adding to the number more and more people, people who were like flatline in their faith, they were kind of like just phoning it in as far as like just doing some of the religious holidays, but they didn't really care. Now they cared. They had, they were connected to Jesus and it was a game changer. And there's other people that were super religious and said, this is so true. I see everything in the Old Testament now leading up to him and this is amazing. And other people who were super far from God, they had no care for anything religious let alone following someone who's this new rogue rabbi who died on the cross, was crucified by the Romans, and everyone's claiming he rose again. But now they were, and now they're all on board. And so they have this amazing euphoric experience. And now because they're, uh, they've got the Holy Spirit inside of them, they're understanding parts of the Bible they didn't before, and they're actually living it out. So you have Peter and John in, in chapter 3. I'm just going to paraphrase through chapter 3, getting to chapter 4. They're walking through town, and as they go up to the temple to, to pray, there's this guy. And we don't know his name, but we're just going to call him Roger for this morning. So what's his name? That's it, Roger. You guys know. Roger, he, he, he hasn't been able to walk or anything since birth. This guy's like, he's, he's, he's actually panhandling. He, he's, he needs money, not because he, he's, he got laid off work, he got fired for some indiscretion or anything else like that. He's someone who, who actually is, he can't work because he physically can't move, he can't stand. And so Roger's always there asking for money. And everyone, when you go to the temple, you're going to walk by Roger. You're going to throw him a couple bucks because it's Roger. I mean, I remember when Roger, Roger was there like since I was a kid. Like we always saw Roger there. And so I, I threw, I'll, everyone, if I'm feeling generous, I'll give Roger some money. So Peter and John are walking by Roger. And as they're walking by Roger, Roger's like, can you guys give me some money? And Peter and John are like, look at us. We got nothing. We have, but then they turn the corner. And this is so cool. They say, look, 
We have no cash to give you, but we're going to give you something even better. In the name of Jesus, walk. And then Roger stands up. They help him up. And then Roger's looking down, and Roger starts to go super inappropriate by dancing and jumping around in the temple. He thought it was, like, bad to, like, if you grew up in, like, old school church to run around. Roger jumping around was really inappropriate in the temple. He's jumping all around. Everyone's, like, freaking out. They're like, what happened? And Peter and John, they don't even, like, go, that's so cool. Everyone, come check this out. They're like, sweet. This is kind of what Jesus called us to anyway. This is how we roll now. This, I mean, Jesus came to this earth to reverse the effects of sin in all of its forms. And, and certainly this is part of it. So, cool. And they keep on walking. And, they, and all of a sudden, everyone, like, starts swarming them like they're the Beatles. Uh, Solomon's colonnade. They all like swarm around like, how did you do it? How did you do that? And it was like, it was so cool because they're like, look, we're not communicating to you that this is us at all. Like, you, you guys think this was us? You, why are you even thinking that, that it's us? It's not us. In fact, like there's nothing in our, we don't have the power to do this. We've never even read Harry Potter. We have no clue how to pull off anything supernatural like that. And it's not because we're super godly. Like our godliness is not something that, that is giving us the capacity to do this. It's just Jesus did this. And everyone is blown away. And everyone's like, well, how is that possible? And then Peter does something. He becomes incredibly unoriginal. He does not use a new message. He actually goes back to the same message he preached when 3,000 people became saved. And he preaches the exact same thing. Zero creativity, zero originality, and he preaches it. And, and basically the message is this. You guys are broken. God is not. You've got punishment coming, but he loves you, and he's making a way for you not to be punished. Will you receive that? That's the basic long and the short of the gospel message that Peter gives. And then he gives it again to these people. And more people respond to it. It's phenomenal. But also people start taking notice. That's where we catch up in chapter 4. The priest, chapter 4, verse 1. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now listen, if you grew up in church... That Jesus resurrection from the dead, that's like white noise to most of us. We've heard it so many times. I mean, seriously, it's like, uh, yeah. And if you've received that, even, even if you're, you're not a Christian, that's something that's commonplace as far as in the lexicon of our understanding. But please have a moment of empathy for how blasphemous that sounded to everyone else at the time. How absolutely audaciously inappropriate. Like, I, how dare you say that? Jesus' death and resurrection was audacious because that's saying that Jesus is God. If you grew up without Jesus, the understanding of Jesus being God, this is a massively, massively offensive statement that they're making. So we need to have some empathy for that, which responds to their actions in verse 3. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. I don't know if any of you were put in jail overnight for something that you did. I've got family members who have, but that's, what, that's the situation they're in. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Why not men and women? Because it was easier to deal with small numbers. And so if you could just count the dudes in the room, you kind of figured, okay, some of these guys are, are married, some of them have kids. So let's, we, if we have 5,000 men, that means that we probably have 10 or 12,000 total people that are in this particular situation. The next day, the rulers, the elders, the teachers of the law, the men in Jerusalem, Annas, the high priest, was there. And so it was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. Okay, by what power and in what name do you do this? Verse 8. Then Peter said, filled with the Holy Spirit, he said to them, 
rulers and elders of the people. If we're being called to account today for an act of kindness, shown to a man who is lame, and are being asked how is he, he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it's by the name of Jesus, Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Again, Peter, zero originality. Zero. He's not coming up with a new way of presenting it. He's not coming up with a new message. He's basically coming back to this. He's just hitting rewind and he's pressing play again. Here's the problem. You crucified Jesus. This is your fault and my fault. We are sinners. That's why he's been crucified. This is your fault. You have to own that. You have to deal with that. But that's not the end of the story. God is a God of grace. And even though you don't deserve to be pardoned, he loves you and he's offering you the pardon. Will you receive that? Will you receive that? That's, that's the whole message. And then he says this. The stone you builders rejected has become the, cor- it has become the cornerstone. Basically saying this. The, the epicenter of life, like the puzzle piece that connects everything, you've thrown the puzzle piece out so you have no clue how the rest of the puzzle fits. That's what you did when you crucified Jesus. Salvation, verse 12, is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could not see the man, but since they could see the man who had been healed, who's the man? Roger. Because they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. If you want to pr- prove like someone's a fraud, that they, they're a fraudulent healer, but you know the guy that was healed, the guy's Roger, and here's Roger in the corner doing the Macarena or something, that's a really hard thing to explain away. They didn't know what to do with that. And so they're like, oh, what am I going to do with this? But since they could see the man who had been healed, Roger standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, but we can't deny it. Look at them. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no more, no longer to anyone in this name, the name of Jesus. Verse 18. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John replied, okay, we'll do that. No, they said, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we can't help. We cannot keep from speaking what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. And here's the thing. We know, the, the thing that was so amazing about this was how old this guy was. This guy, Roger, who was healed, he, was, he wasn't, wasn't a young person. He was old. And we find out in the text how old he was. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how, how, to, how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. Not praising Peter and John. Not praising the Christian movement. Praising who? God. And so these religious leaders who are all about worshiping God are like, what are we going to do with this? And again, the reason that they could not get away from it is because of how old Roger was, how crazy super old he was. And Luke lets us know how old he was. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Thank you, Luke. All right. So it's kind of like, okay, if he was 18 years old, maybe good genes did it or whatever, but north of 40? Okay, that's a miracle. All right. So here's the thing. The whole thing about this mission is that they're owning the message that Jesus gave them, and they're just fleshing it out, you know, seemingly indiscriminately, and, and acting like this is totally commonplace. They're not even shocked that there's pushback or friction, because Jesus said to them, listen, in this world, you're going to have trouble, but take heart. 
I've overcome the world. And so Jesus let them know that their rights were going to be revoked, that their voices were going to be silenced, that they were going to get pushed back. He even said that this is going to be something that is going to be dastardly difficult for them. If you wanted to think about like a way to summarize basically a, a Christian's message and, the fa- and our posture with regard to the message of Jesus, this is it. I am just a nobody who wants to tell everybody about the somebody who changed everything. I heard this one time. I can't remember who said it. This might be a little bit of a paraphrase of what they said, but it stuck with me. I'm just a nobody who wants to tell everybody about the somebody who changed everything. We should let's say that together, okay? I'm going to count to three, and seriously, everyone, everyone has to say it. Well, we'll start again. All right, one, two, three. I'm who about who? That's the Christian message. That, 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 that's, that's the message of, of each of the people. So let's take that apart. First off, I'm just a nobody. We, we realize how much of a nobody Peter and John are by the religious leaders' assessment of them in verse 13. In, John, or in Acts 4.13, listen to the description of them after they're speaking. When they saw the, the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were Bible students, when they realized that they really knew God's word like the back of their hand. No! When they realized that they're unschooled. What does that mean? The religious leaders knew more about the Bible than them. The religious leaders had better religious education than Peter and John. And yet they haven't been able to drum up a religious movement or, or any enthusiasm about God in years. But these two, like, seemingly looking homeless looking guys who can't read? Peter, m- most scholars don't believe Peter could read. The book of Mark is Peter's eyewitness account. Why didn't Peter write it? He's a poor fisherman. He didn't even know how to swim, let alone read. So like the idea that these are unschooled, like these guys are not the cream of the crop like us. They're unschooled. And not only that, they're ordinary. These are like not the people that you want to present because they've got such a captivating, they're not attractive. They're like, meh. It's just like they, they walk into a room, and if they're presenting something, you're like, I don't know, I'm not buying that. Why? Because they're just ordinary. There's nothing about them, zero about them, that is compelling people to say, oh, I want what these guys are all about. Except for one thing. They were astonished, and they all took note that these men had been with Jesus. That's it. Unschooled. Illiterate. Ordinary. Just meh type of people. But the thing that they had that gave them the platform to say anything was that they had a connection with Jesus. They didn't use, I'm just a nobody, as an excuse. Why do we? Why do you and I? Seriously, like, like when you're around people that, that you're close with, your friends that you go to school with, the people that you work with, or the people that you engage with, and you kind of feel that nudge, like, maybe I should say something about my faith. But you're like, you know what, though? But seriously, like, honestly, I'm not like a, a pastor or something. I don't have all the words. I'm going to, like, fumble this. Or, or I'm, I'm like, I'm not like, I don't know a lot about the Bible. What if they ask me a hard question about the Bible or the age of the earth or, or something, and I don't know the answer? Like, I don't want to, like, set myself up for, like, ruining this opportunity this person. So the, I'm just a nobody. I'm just saying nothing. Folks, that's sin. Sin. Because God does not call the somebodies or the educated or the qualified to be the people who are speaking, who are part of the movement to convey the message. Mm-mm. 
Jesus laid it out, not only in his ministry, but if you look through the whole Bible, who does God call? The nobodies, the people who feel like they don't have the qualifications, and they don't. The only thing that qualifies them is their connection to God. And if you're a Christian, you have that just as much as me, just as much as Billy Graham did, just as much as any other Christian writer. If you are with around someone that you're close with, you're close with, and they don't know Jesus, man, you have a place. And you know what? If you're waiting for that person to run into a pastor or someone smarter than you, not only are you cheating your friend out of the opportunity to hear the best message on planet Earth, you're cheating yourself out of the opportunity to see God use you. Maybe that's why your faith is so flatlined. Maybe that's why it's so dead and dry. Because you haven't taken any steps of faith because you're comfortable waiting for somebody's good. When all God has chosen to call are nobodies like you and me and Peter and John. Nobodies. Amen? We're not just nobodies. We're nobodies who want to tell everybody about the somebody. And this is the great thing. These people are, are, are again, indiscriminate. They're, they're telling the guy who's in need, the, the guy, who, uh, Rogers, they're telling someone who's in need. They're telling the fan base who are like, this is amazing, tell us more. And they're also telling the haters. It's like every group of people. There's like, it's not just the people that you're closest with. It's for everybody. But here's the thing. It's not just everybody just telling everybody just a generalized good message. It's being specific about the somebody. And that's what we see in verse 12. This is Peter saying, there is salvation in no one else. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we much must be saved. And this is the problem right here. This is what honestly keeps us from saying, I want to tell everybody about the somebody. It's that problem because it's so offensive. People have very good reasons to be offended at your faith if you're a Christian. They've got excellent reasons. And you shouldn't push back on any of them because they're all accurate. Like, for example, some people are intellectually offended at Christianity or the scriptures. I mean, think about it. The idea, okay, that there's, first off, there's a God. A God who's a personal God, not just a force or whatever, not half a step, but a God who created his creation and the creation didn't do what he wanted them to do. And so God becomes man to help avoid them from dying in their sin. And he dies on the cross. But wait, hold on. He doesn't stay dead. He rises again. That's illogical. There's zero. Show me the proof in that. And, if, and if, you, if you ever push back to the idea that that's a stupid concept, you haven't read Paul. Paul says in his letters, this is a stupid concept to the world on the outside who don't get it yet. I mean, that was me. I didn't believe in Jesus. I, didn't, I hated Jesus. I hated Jesus' movement and Jesus' followers. I didn't like any of it. I didn't believe in it until I met Jesus. It was intellectually offensive to me until I met Jesus, and now I'm following him. A lot of, a lot of Christians today, at one point in their life, were intellectually offended at the idea of the gospel until... Until they surrender their life to Jesus, and then all of a sudden he changed them. Some people are, are politically offended um, at, at, at the message of the, of the cross. And I'm not talking about Christianity in, in America. A lot of times as Christians, we beat the drum pretty hard that we're persecuted in this country. And we're, I think that makes the other people groups around um, our globe that are following Jesus and are actually on the front lines want to just throw up because of what they're actually going through on a day-to-day -day basis. You might be shunned for your faith. But they might be shot. Yeah? 
Okay, so let, let's not pretend like we got it bad. We really don't. We, we may have had it bad, worse than we had 20 years ago, but ser- seriously, our worst is nothing compared to what's happening in today in 2019. And next month, I'm going to India um, to encourage some pastors um, in that country. The prime minister has declared that because he wants India to be a Hindu nation, he is going to eradicate the country from any other religious groups, Muslims, Christians, anyone. And so they're all being pushed out. They're not pushing as hard, they're, pu- they're pushing hard on persecuting all of them. They're not pushing the Muslims as much because the Muslims will fight back. The Christians aren't. The Christian churches are burning. The pastors are, are, are if they communicate their faith to someone else, they will be put in prison. Like when I'm over there, if I get busted, the worst I can get is deported. These guys can die. And so when we look at that, the reason being is like this is something we don't want Christianity to spread. And so all these people groups that have been helping the poor and the marginalized in India are, are, having, are getting forced out because it's a political offense to them. And then there's other people who are morally offended. Man, I tell you what, if you don't read this book and are, are offended at what it's communicating to you about your lifestyle, you're not reading this book. There's, I don't care. I don't care what your what your your struggle is, or what you know what your, your you know whether your struggle with lying or you struggle with gossiping, or or I don't care if you're gay or you're straight or whatever. This book is going to offend you. It's going to offend you. There's not a single person on planet Earth who's finished reading this and said, you know what? I could have written that because that's a perfect description of my life. Woo! Everyone who reads this is like, I really wish that wasn't in there. That. I wish that that wasn't in there. (laughs) That's not my normal and normalized perspective or feelings. This isn't normative for me, and it's not. It causes me to say, am I going to surrender to to God, or am I going to continue saying I am the king of my life? And so I understand why people would be morally offended at at Jesus or at Scripture, but with, with regard to Jesus, the primary reason that people are offended is this. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. It's so exclusive. It's like, it's like listen, I, I don't mind you Christians, like Christians do a lot of good stuff, but honestly, th- I have an issue with you saying that Jesus is the only way. Because how do we know that Jesus is the only way? There's lots of people who are really, really passionate and good people. I've got Muslim friends, I've got Hindu friends, I've got atheist friends, and they're good people. And you're saying that just because someone doesn't, you know, ask Jesus to forgive their sins that they're going to hell? I mean, that just sounds so judgmental and narrow. Like, that's so stinking exclusive. And it's, they're absolutely right. It is absolutely exclusive. But it's only narrow and judgmental if it's false. If it's false, that statement, the statement that Peter made, that Jesus made about himself, is narrow and judgmental. It's not narrow or judgmental if it's true. Let me give you an example. If there was a pandemic and you're in, the, in a scientific field and you've come across the cure, you found the cure, whether it's, it's the cure to AIDS or it's a, it's a massive pandemic, you found the cure. You would not be a scientist if you said, well, here's the thing. Like, I know it's the cure, but I don't want to introduce this to everybody because who am I? Who am I to say that, that one cure is for all? Like, maybe there's lots of cures out there. Maybe we should let people find their own cure. And I'll just keep this one to myself. You use essential oils, go with that. I'm going to hold on to the cure here. Would you do that? No. I don't care how much thieves you got, man. It's not going to work. Not for a pandemic. And here's the thing. If you have the cure, if you've got the cure, what you would say is this. 
you need this. You right now, if you don't have this, you will die. But what if there's no, there's no other way? You need this. That is exclusive, but it's not narrow or judgmental if it's true. And folks, Jesus is true. He is actually, this is the cool thing. Jesus is the most inclusively exclusive message because as much as it's, there is one source, there is one answer for, for, there's one answer for everyone, all kinds of people groups. It doesn't matter what religion you grew up in or if you grew up without, without a religion. It doesn't matter what continent you're from. This is why when you look at a global map of world religions, you'll find every world religion epicentered around a particular region except for Christianity. Why? Because Jesus said this is the one answer that's supposed to go to every person, every skin color, every backdrop. I don't care what you did in junior high, high school, college, or in your 20s. This is for you. And it's exclusive, but it's inclusive for everyone to have. And this is the thing that sets Christianity apart. And if you're a Christian, you can own this. If you're not a Christian, I want you to, re- I want you to accept this, but I want you to think about it first. Every world religion is made up of good people trying to intelligently solve life's biggest problem. Why am I distant and broken from my ultimate purpose in life? Every world religion, including atheism, is aiming to answer that question. If you're a Christian, you belong to the only faith whose founder died for his creation, was destroyed for his creation so that they wouldn't be destroyed, who laid down his life to make a way for them to be whole. Every other world religion is saying, it's on you. You gotta work your way back. And at the core of every human heart, we know, I can't do enough to cover it up. Jesus is the most inclusively exclusive message out there. Folks, this is our message. We're just a bunch of nobodies. We wanna tell everybody about the somebody who changed everything. If you're a Christian, if you're a high school student, a junior high school student, or you're in your 60s, and you want to be someone who's living this out, be the type of person that just communicates that. Me, like a bunch of other people, I'm just a nobody. Who wants to tell everybody about the somebody who changed everything. And know that just like Peter, you're going to get friction for that. That's okay. It's not your job to save people. It's not your job to have everyone like you. It's your job to simply, as a Christian, be an ambassador of something that's actually true. Offensive. Totally offensive. But true. And it's secure. There's this guy, when we were in um, Israel a couple years back, um, we had a chance to go to this guy's um, church in Bethlehem. And this guy, he's actually, he's in the shadows up there in the upper right-hand corner. But this guy is a guy who grew up as a Muslim um, and in Bethlehem. And, and he, he was someone who was a devout Muslim. He lo- I mean, he didn't hate Muslim, Islam. He loved Islam. He loved the Quran. He loved the beauty of the people group and the culture that he had. But as he started to investigate Christianity, and he, and he read Christianity in his, own, in his own language, in the Bible, which was translated um, the Old and New Testament into Arabic, he had a chance to read that on his own. This guy, he starts to read this, and all of a sudden he's blown away with this Jesus, and he actually says, you know what, I love Allah because Allah hates sin. Allah has wrath against sin. There is a right and a wrong in Islam, and I love that, and I embrace that. But Jesus also says that God has wrath against sin. But Jesus took the wrath for me. Jesus took the wrath out of love for me. 
And so this pastor gave his life to Jesus. And his life was incredible after that. Everything started to go good for him. Only if getting shot is good. His friends and neighbors felt like, I mean, again, they're betrayed. This is more than just you're, you're, you're deciding to go to a different restaurant. You're changing religions and you're putting an about face on your family and your heritage and everything. So they shot him. Now, how many times would you have to get shot before you figure, maybe I should dial back my Christianity? Maybe I should be more careful about what I say. He gets shot, doesn't die, and he decides that his response to the friction that he's getting is to put a bigger speaker on the top of his church building. So that when he preaches the gospel, more people can hear the good news that this is not just for the Christians in this building. It's for everyone in the streets of Bethlehem to hear the good news about Jesus, God who became man to make a way for us. And you know what they did? The whole community, got, they got saved. And it was, no, they, they blew up his car when he got into it. It was a pipe bomb. But he didn't die. I, I have no clue what kind of clothes this guy wears. But I mean, I want to buy some. They're phenomenal. And, and, but they didn't, they didn't just bomb him once. They didn't bomb him twice. They didn't bomb him three times. This pastor has been bombed four times, shot once. But I know that we're more persecuted than him. I mean, let's be honest. Someone might shun us on Facebook. He's someone who has literally been shot for his faith. And his response to the offended world whose offense is not to like, okay, this is it, man. Battlegrounds. We're going against you, man. We got rights. You want to know what his posture is towards the people who have threatened his family's life because of Jesus? Who's threatened that if you continue talking about Jesus, we're going to take your life? It's very much what, what Peter said. Peter said this, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, as for me, I cannot help speaking about what I have seen and heard. He put a big banner in his church. What would be your banner if you were a guy who's been shot and bombed four times that you would put in your church? For me, it'd be bulletproof. It'd be a bulletproof banner. This is just a banner. But what would you put on your banner? Like something about God's wrath coming against the pagans who disagree with us, who marginalize us, who keep us down. Something about the full armor of God maybe, that, that we're protected and God's going to keep us you know, t- tight through this. That's not what this pastor in Bethlehem puts on his banner. You want to know what his banner is? I love this. That's his banner. What's his posture towards the offensive outside world that is offended at the gospel and wants to kill him for it? Why? Because he realizes that God loves him in spite of all of his offenses. And God's grace overcomes that. So when he sees the people in the streets, he doesn't look at the enemy. He looks at other people who are desperately in need of a savior. He's just a nobody. He wants to tell everybody in Bethlehem about the somebody who changed everything. Are you doing that? High school students, college students, 20-somethings, 30-somethings, 40-somethings, 50s, 60s, 70-somethings. Are we living in such a way that we are recognizing we're just nobodies, just like Peter and John? We want to tell everybody about the somebody who changed everything. This weekend, there's 17 people who, 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 by the end of this service, will have been baptized. And all they are are just people like you and me, nobodies. History will not remember us. But their proclamation of their connection with Jesus in baptism, their connection to Jesus' death, and resurrection 
is something that's going to impact not only their lives, but everyone who's here listening. You have a part in that. The greatest thing I love about baptism is this, that when they come out of the water, they hear a congregation celebrating. They're applauding and celebrating so that they can dry off. They proclaim their connection to Jesus. Now they can get a towel, walk out of this building, get into a car, go to work tomorrow, go to school tomorrow, and continue being a nobody who wants to continue telling everybody about the somebody who changed everything in a world that will not be doing that. And that's okay. That's perfectly okay. Because Jesus promised us that. But he promised that he's going to be with us. Amen? Listen to these stories and hear what Jesus is doing in our congregation. Take a